Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Our attention is riveted on the terrible situation in Gaza, in Israel, and the surrounding countries. Today, I have to remind myself that this is a global finance and economics grounded podcast because otherwise I'd focus on the many seemingly insoluble disasters and terrors there as well as the Ukraine and many other countries that don't make the press every day. As we are all focused today, Monday, October 16th, on global events in real time, I'll keep this podcast brief, but on our finance and economic trends. I can only hope that global leadership emerges or re-emerges, and that the leadership will focus on peace talks instead of war actions. I also hope that our recommendations now, we've spanned almost two years on certain key topics that have come to pass. I hope our recommendations have helped you protect your savings and investments. That's really my primary goal, is to help you with your career and your future lifestyle. On this point, As we consistently have warned week after week, month after month, investments in long-term bonds have contained large amounts of risk of capital. Now it's pretty much official. Bonds, for the first time in U.S. history, that's a lot of years, have had two back-to-back years of substantial losses. Bonds have been one of the worst asset classes, losing up to 50% of their value. For example, the 30-year government bond at the beginning of covid paid less than a 1.5% interest rate. Now the interest rate is well above 4.5%. Recall that as interest rates go up, bond prices go down. It's a reflex. It's automatic. They go together. Bond prices up, interest rates down. Interest rates up, bond prices down. It's a reflex. In any event, this tripling of interest rates during the COVID period has driven the bond prices of the longer-term bonds down approximately half, 50%. Those who bought long-term government bonds in 20 and 21, probably thinking it was a safe conservative investment, now show losses on their monthly brokerage statements of 30%, 40%, 50%, in some cases even more. Taking money out of the long-term bonds, as we have discussed in many podcasts, has not only saved large amounts of retirement funds for those listeners who acted, but also has set those investors to earn 5% or more in today's short-term securities and money market accounts, and even additionally is providing a highly liquid war chest to buy back into these asset groups at a later date or to take advantage of a stock market that will be more and more on sale. Our real estate discussions, in hindsight, have helped prepare you for the slow-motion train wreck occurring week-to-week in the commercial real estate market, while at the same time avoiding, hopefully, the trade-up alternatives that tempted many in the heretofore booming housing market. Okay, enough of recent history. What can we expect for the rest of this year and into next year? My suggestion on the credit markets, and the credit markets are really key, If you really want to follow any category of liabilities or assets or news, I would recommend you follow the credit markets. The stock market ultimately reflects the credit markets. The real estate markets ultimately reflect the credit markets. The dollar reflects the credit markets. 
And the credit markets are really here and now in focus. And in my view, this is not popular or conventional wisdom, but my view is we should prepare for years of higher interest rates. The markets keep trying to anticipate when the Federal Reserve will pivot. So really long-term high levels of interest rates are not yet baked into the market, in my view. More specifically, concerning interest rates, here is what I would recommend you should consider in looking at the future the next year or two. Number one, China month-to-month, continues to reduce their holdings of U.S. Treasury securities. And this rate is approximately $50 billion per month. Is that a lot of money? Uh, Yes, it's a lot of money in many ways. For example, sometime late next year, continuing at the reduction in holdings that I just mentioned, they will own a historically low amount over a period of decades, a historically low amount of U.S. securities. They will have gone from $1.3 to $1.4 trillion at the high to $1.1 trillion about five years ago, to $800 billion now, to only several hundred billion dollars late next year at present trends. I'll tell you why this is important when we go through a few more of the considerations that I really want to bring to your attention. Number two, The oil countries are also reducing their holdings of U.S. government securities and are accepting non-dollar currencies in exchange for their oil. Number three, the Federal Reserve has been and plans to continue reducing their treasury holdings as a part of what I call their quantitative tightening. In other words, trying to fight inflation. And presently, the money supply now is in a negative direction, and this is extremely rare in the history of the United States to be watching the money supply decline over a period of months at a consistently negative rate. That is something quite rare and something to watch in terms of its impact on bringing up front a more severe recession. Number four, the Social Security ownership of treasuries is declining as Social Security payments now exceed Social Security income or taxes. In other words, they're having to sell their U.S. government bonds and obligations to pay Social Security benefits. Historically, that's not been the case. That's now the period we're in, and it's going to get more severe. Number five, U.S. government deficit spending continues, in my view, totally out of control, with neither party even talking about a reduction, much less a balanced budget. In fact, our U.S. debt, which means new issuances of more Treasury debt, continues at almost $2 trillion per year, which you have to add to the refinancing of the old debt as it comes due. So in total, about one-third of the total debt just about $10 trillion is going to be financed and refinanced this year and next. I have not found that anywhere near that amount of money has had to be raised in the debt markets before. Again, remember points one, two, three, and four I just mentioned. Those are all different than history also. Number six, banks. A major buyer of government securities. In fact, I should mention that the primary dealers covered in a previous podcast, the primary dealers are the banks that are committed to buy the new treasury securities from the treasury. And I believe for the first time in the last set of auctions, the banks had to continue to own about 18% of the amount of the debt auction. Typically, that amount is closer to 10% or under 10%. So that's another indicator of the lack of demand. Technically, the most recent auctions of government debt are really failed auctions. 
because the banks were not able to sell back to pension funds and other investment groups the debt that they were obligated to buy from the Treasury. They had to hold it. And that's another negativity on top of this one. The bank portfolios that are held, because interest rates have gone up in the past couple of years, as I mentioned, now have unrealized losses on our U.S. banking system, our U.S. banks, between $500 billion and a trillion dollars. Those are unrealized losses that reflect the value depreciation of the bonds that the banks own. And it's going to be interesting to see as the banks report, and I'm thinking mainly of the medium-sized and smaller banks, as income is reported this week, next week, and next quarter, how many of those losses are going to have to flow through? Because as those losses flow through to the income statements of the banks, that, keeping everything else equal, lowers the bank reserves, and that lowers the amount of lending that the banks can make. So far, this $500 billion to $1 trillion loss in value of bonds held on bank balance sheets has not been reported, and the way they keep from reporting that, at least week to week, is classifying those bonds as assets that are not for sale. They're assets that are are going to be held to maturity. But if one looks at the bank balance sheets in detail, it's a pretty quick conclusion that all the banks who have this magnitude of issues are not going to be able to hold these levels of assets to maturity. So something's going to change pretty soon, which is going to be negative for the U.S. debt market. The elephant in the room with all six of the items I just mentioned, is who or what institutions or what countries who will buy all the U.S. Treasury debt coming to market this year and next, and at what prices, which means what are the interest rates. In my view, the items just listed are not going to change this year, sadly. They may worsen. And in my view, in the bigger picture, we left the decades-long environment of low interest rates And we may well be in the decade-long period, or longer, of high interest rates. This may be a really long cycle. We've had a really long cycle of low interest rates. And I'm beginning to be committed to the thought that we are entered, we are in the period of high interest rates. In other words, what if there's no snapback? What if there's no Fed easing that can make a difference, given all the U.S. Treasury bonds obligations that need to be sold and bought over the next year or two? Many investors, particularly those who are in the 30s, 40s, and even 50s, don't even remember or have the experience of living in an environment of high interest rates. If I'm sadly correct, many investors and companies today are caught totally wrong-footed. And we can see this with bankruptcies, again, climbing rapidly, credit card bad debt write-offs growing rapidly. I suspect we've just gotten started with high interest rates. The impact is moving through the U.S. and global economic system, but we're more at the beginning of that. And I don't think that's priced in the market, my view. Additionally, as adjustable rate mortgages and business loans reset with the higher interest rates that have already happened, not even forecasting, but already happened, the economies of the U.S., the United Kingdom, and Europe are particularly vulnerable. Add to this scenario rising oil prices, two wars, an implosion in China's real estate market, which spells trouble and potential desperation by China's leaders, a movement away from the U.S. dollar by a new consolidating eastern trade bloc, and chronic inflation, 
Put all that together and we have a most challenging bond stock and real estate market investment scenario this year and next. And if we even go to the bigger picture, what does all of that mean? Well, it certainly means that new investments in job creating areas will be questioned by those having the investment funds or reduced totally all of which has a knock-on impact for careers, family incomes, and cost-push inflation, as during this period we build more and more supply chains in our movement away from China sourcing. In total, please be cautious about new investments and new debt of any kind. Be cautious also about month-to-month official government data releases. For example, the apparent strength in employment information that's often trumpeted by government agencies is overshadowed by the more detailed data that is not reported so widely. And that is most, if not all, of the apparent high employment data reflects part-time job additions because full-time jobs remain in a decline mode. As another example, be cautious of reports of a strong dollar during these periods of volatility. Don't get carried away thinking a strong dollar means a highly predictable, comfortable environment because, ironically, a global shortage of oil not only pushes up the oil prices, but that creates more short-term demand for dollars, creates a stronger dollar, at least until the eastern trading block of countries with the oil producers accept more and more non-dollar oil sales, which is gradual. This may take several years to have a major impact, but it is going on now and picking up momentum. We'll see a large number of changes this year and next in the global food, fuel, transportation, and currency markets. In fact, we'll see a lot of changes in these markets over the next week or two with the uncertainties in the Middle East right now. There's simply too much changing in the big picture for finance and economics with the two wars in process. There's too much changing to reliably predict where we'll be in a month. But we'll provide a more comprehensive evaluation and suggestions in the next podcast. But for now, I would batten down the hatches, decrease stock and bond market exposures, and continue to build up cash reserves. All, in my opinion, of course, and all aimed to, hopefully, help you. Much more to follow in two weeks. Take care. Be cautious. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.